You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, City Farming, in which we discuss new ways to talk about food in urban settings. This show will talk about home gardening and planning for a new season. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Catherine McGill, longtime member, judge, director, and youth committee member at the Ontario Horticultural Association. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much, Peggy. Catherine, what is the Ontario Horticultural Association and how long has it existed? Well, the OHA is a self-funded body, uh, so no government funding, and it's the guiding hand for currently 267 horticulture societies and clubs all over Ontario. The first horticulture society was founded in Ontario in 1792, but the OHA didn't become official until 1906, so we're 117 years young. In 19 regions, 25,000 members. And we're volunteering to keep your communities blooming, beautifying, and landscaping. You name it, if it's blooming in town, chances are the Horticulture Society had a hand in it. How amazing. What a long and rich history. And you're everywhere, which is really good news. One thing I want to pick up on, Catherine, is you mentioned that the organization was self-funded. How does the Ontario Horticultural Association operate? Well, we collect dues from our members for part of our funding, but we give out a lot of that, most of that, into grants back to the societies and clubs. This last year, we started a quarterly 50-50 draw that anyone can purchase. Um, We try to have a yearly fundraiser. Uh, We also have donation cards, which is fairly new for us. Um, It's an alternative to, say, the Cancer Society or more common donation locations. If they love nature and gardening, why not donate back to gardening across Ontario? It seemed a great fit, and it's becoming more popular as it's becoming known. Yeah, it is. And what a great sustainable way to gift someone for their birthday or a special event or wedding or what have you. What are the aims of the Ontario Horticultural Association, Catherine? Um, to have everyone in Ontario gardening in some way, whether it's flowers in the garden, floral design, vegetables, even enjoying a potted plant in the smallest space. We're planning to bring forward a proposal to update our mission statement to reflect that we want to provide broad support and guidance, training, administrative leadership, and to advocate on behalf of affiliated horticulture societies and clubs, and that the OHA would like to develop and support programs for all ages and skill levels, encouraging gardening, community beautification, environmental stewardship, and conservation. Wonderful. And you were talking about all ages, and I'm thinking of Ontario has the school food literacy curriculum that has now been put into place for grades 1 to 8 and grade 9 science. I know there is interested people to expand the mandate of the food literacy, but also Canada's food policy at a national level has a school food program. So also thinking about the food system literacy and where food comes from and how to grow it and make it keep it safe and all of that. So I can see the Ontario Horticultural Association really being very good people to know as this rolls out and as it's advocated for because we're, we haven't crossed the finish line yet on Ontario and Canada school food literacy programs. So speaking of food literacy and speaking of school age kids, and that uh, leads me to ask my broader question about education and what kind of education and resources does the Ontario Horticultural Association provide to the members but also public? Well the OHA has a website gardenontario.org and it's filled with lots of info and resources. Education is offered to our affiliated societies
societies and clubs and its membership by way of online webinars, resource materials, speakers, accredited judges. The OHA provides bursaries to two universities for students taking horticultural-related education, and many of the societies have student bursaries. The OHA districts, societies, and clubs also provide education at their meetings. It's a great way to learn more. The societies and clubs are a wonderful place to meet like-minded individuals who have a passion or have an interest in gardening. And our Facebook page, again, Garden Ontario, all one word, that's huge. We have 57,000 members on it. Uh, There's lots of help available without being an OHA member. We try hard to have a safe place to share your gardening trials and accomplishments. And a lot of the societies do help out their community schools going into the schools and and teaching classes and programs and planting gardens. My home society here, we put in three garden boxes in the public schools this year for the kids to grow their own food. Wonderful. 57,000 people connected in whatever problem exists, likely somebody out there has an answer. And sometimes it's really simple. You know, why is the leaves on my plant this color instead of that color? And it could just be the acidity level of the soil. It's it's not that there's a problem. It's just that there's something the plant is pulling from the soil and so things like that. But I'm sure also more specific things like attracting pollinators. We talk a lot about honeybees, which is wonderful. However, birds are big pollinators and we need to attract birds. Advice on all of those things would be able to be found at the Interior Horticultural Association. I'm wondering, Catherine, what is one of your best successes in the garden? Um, Personally, uh, at the start of COVID, I replaced my front lawn with all garden. I added a lot of native plants, which in part increased my bird varieties. And I added a walking path around the garden so that the neighbors, uh, they walked around my front yard and checked out what was coming up next. I feel like I helped the whole neighborhood. I also added a seed library and a garden book library, all for free. You know, just everyone who needs them has them. And it was well used. So I, I love seeing, especially the kids, there's quite a few daycares around here and they'll come do the loop around my front lawn and check out what's their favorite flower and what's coming up next because you know in a garden it's changing continually so it was a lot of fun. Wow I bet now you had mentioned a seed library and I'm not familiar with that term can you tell us what that is? Well, I know people are used to the lending library, the book libraries that you see pop up, the little free libraries that you see in the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Well, it was like that. It was a box and there was perennial, annual and vegetable seeds. So you could help yourself to whatever kinds of seeds you wanted to try. Oh, wow. So a real way to share and uh, get started. Also somewhere to get advice. Did you get a lot of follow-up questions on the seed library? Um, if they caught me out in the garden, they were uh, asking what would be best in this area or, you know, I, I like zucchini and what kind do you have? And it was it was interesting. And the book library was all gardening books. And I also put in some coloring activity books for kids. Because I was the youth chair for the OHA, I put them in there and the kids would take them home and I'd get pictures brought back and taped to the box that they had done them. It was, it was a lot of fun. How delightful. I'm wondering, um, Catherine, we live in a digital fast paced world. And you know, things go by at the speed of light and growing takes time. So I'm wondering why you think home gardening is still important today. Mental health, big part, looking after watching something growing and just being in nature all help release stress. And the added bonus is food security, growing your own vegetables. Gardening gets us out of our heads and participate with the world and not just live on it. It helps kick 
life stresses to the curb. And you know, I couldn't agree with you more when I used to have a much bigger garden and I really, really miss it. And I would reorient in the garden. I would be in time and place almost time because I could see the sun move. I would be in place because I was working my garden. I kind of had this almost poetic unity with nature. And then to watch another layer of time and nature work, which was the evolution of, you know, my seed popping up for the first time, that delightful first morning when you look out and there they are saying hello. Hello, my little seedlings. And then also just that joy at harvest when the tomato that I made or, or or that I helped grow. And there is just something connected in some way when we are gardening. And so I couldn't agree more. And I think that's really important. And you had mentioned earlier in the show, whatever space you have, you know, you don't have to have a big backyard. If you have a windowsill, you can grow. There is just something that continues to grow, not just actually, but metaphorically when we connect in through growing and gardening at home. Thank you so much for that inspiration, Catherine. You're welcome. After the break, we'll talk about planning for a new season with Catherine McGill from the Ontario Horticultural Association. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. Welcome back to Food for the Future. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. We've been speaking with Catherine McGill from the Ontario Horticultural Association about gardening and planning for a new season. Catherine, it's a brand new year. We've just celebrated New Year's, many of us. Some New Year's is to come and all sorts of exciting things to plan for. But it's a good time to plan for spring. What could home gardeners be doing right now? Oh, January is the time to dream, make plans for next season, mapping for moving the plants, uh, making wish lists for adding plants, adding raised beds, pond, whatever your vision is for your garden. You can start winter sowing, growing in vegetables and containers in the snow, your lettuce, radish, spinach, or you can uh, have vegetables growing on your windowsill inside, like your green onions and your ginger. Just watching and, and growing calms the soul and mind. And it's something that the kids can do as well. The amazement that you get or they get from a jar of seeds to a full jar of sprouts in just days is is great. And they're more willing to try things like they're interested in them. It's it's great. So a couple things to pick up on that you mentioned. Um, I had no idea the radishes would grow in the winter. Oh, yeah. I knew kale and some other leafy greens were a little bit more cool temperature resistant, but I didn't know radishes. That's fascinating. Um, questions for beginners. Where to start? You can't do it all and you want to get the right gradient to be successful. So what are your tips for new gardeners to start planning this January for a successful crop this year? A new homeowner, for sure, you want to live in your home for a year. I know that's really hard, but you need to see and map where the sun is. You need to know your conditions. Is it full sun? Do you have trees blocking part, giving you a dappled shade? Because everything, like your tomatoes, aren't going to do as well in the dappled shade, but all your leaf lettuces and things are going to do great over there. They're a little bit cooler. I'd start with raised beds. They're easier maintenance. Um, Keeping the kids and the dogs out are easier. (laughs) Um, you start small and then be realistic with how much time do you have or are willing to put into a garden. Um, If you're working nine to five and can only garden on weekends, don't start with 20 tomatoes and 14 zucchinis. You may only want a couple of patio pots. So start small. Don't 
throw a ton of money and time into a big garden and then you're not there to look after it. You also want to look out for drought-resistant plants, ideally native, perennials, never the invasives. And I would say walk your neighborhood. What's growing around you? What do you like in someone's garden? And then go talk to the owners. Um, and then make a list so you know what you want to add to your garden. But the number one I would say is join your local horticulture society or club and start learning because we have all of those speakers and you've got that room full of knowledgeable people who are willing to share. We have a full spectrum of experience sitting in the room and where we were all beginners to start. We're all willing to share. Wonderful. So plan. I love how you started that question with it's a time to dream. Dream where your gardens will be, a dream, dream what you would grow, a dream of having maybe even some more time to be able to garden. And so <laughs> making all the plans to put uh, in place for the success. Definitely understanding the soil, the wind, all of that. And you had mentioned raised beds that you can keep um, children and dogs out of raised beds easier than other gardens. But also you can control the soil a little bit better there. That if you live in really, really acidic soil, or if sometimes if you've got evergreen trees, certain things don't like those roots or good soil, right? from the start. Yes. And more and more, uh, the way the raised beds are going in, they're very aesthetic. So I think that there's a lot been done now with raised beds that I think aren't just sort of functional and industrial, but they actually can look really good too. What plants are hardy and conducive to success for new gardeners? Now you mentioned a couple hardy in the winter, but what are some good ones for new gardeners to start with? Well, it depends on your definition of success because we all have our unique vision. But if you want the best for nature in our part of the world, add native plants. Our birds and butterflies cannot eat the other plants, the ones that weren't grown here for millennia. So if you want birds, you need the habitat, a place for nesting, um, food for the babies, native plants, and a water source. But for our changing weather conditions, we need to look for the drought-resistant plants, the sedums, the bushes like a service berry or a winter berry, and only use annuals as pops of color. So you're saving your money, you're slowing down the need for water, and use the perennials that'll work for you for many years and not just the first-time annuals. Okay, really, really good advice. So I talked a little bit before about pollinators. They're always on my mind. Is it too early to start thinking about attracting birds, butterflies, bees? No, no, it's never too early and you're never too late. But well, birds aren't great pollinators. It's the bugs and the insects are. The birds need the homes, the food for the babies and the water. Butterflies need nectar for the parents. But the main thing is the native plants for them to lay their eggs on. You've all heard about monarchs needing milkweed. That's a host-specific plant. So baby caterpillars of monarchs can only eat milkweed family plants. It's a host-specific. And most of the butterflies are like that. They have certain families of plants that they can eat, and that's it. So the swallowtail butterflies, they're the yellow ones. They need parsley or dill or fennel. It's all the same family. So we need a selection of native plants is a must for our native butterflies, and then for the gardeners uh, not to go spraying when they get caterpillars eating the plants. <laughs> they need to learn to share. Bees are always welcome, but you need to remember that the wasps and beetles, they're pollinators too. Wasps just aren't bad guys. They're they're good ones too. Uh, for the bees, I leave one section of my garden. For me, it's at the very back of the garden because I don't tend to sit down there and hang out there. And I leave it bare, no mulch, because most of our native bees live underground. And if they can't get through the mulch, they have nowhere to live. But for attracting, I would say check your blooming times. 
most plants and bulbs like your tulips and daffodils and many of your perennials, you want to check. They usually are labeled so they're early, mid, or late spring. The same thing, early, mid, or late summer. So you want to get some of each so that your garden always has something blooming. So you always have a food source. And again, don't forget the native bushes for winter interest because that's the only source that and the seed heads that are still left up. So don't clear your yards in the fall because those seed heads are the food source for the birds. So that's all I have to say there. It's just, you can always add something else. Your butterflies and your birds, they need a water source whether it's just a, a little fountain or whether it's a bowl with water. And then for the butterflies and bees, I do a shallow pan with water in it and some, uh, I do colored marbles in the bottom so that the bees, because they have little short, tiny little legs, right? So you give them just a little area that they can stand on a rock and get a drink. Oh, wow. So much I never would have thought of. I'm not even giving a second thought to the mulch and that the honeybees can't get down to the ground, to the, the underground, but they also can't get up through it either. And yeah. also never thought of having enough shallow water that a bee could actually have a drink and carry on with their day. So fascinating information. And we're reinforcing what the point of the show is, which is planning for a new season. So lots of details to think about. Thank you so much for that, Catherine. In this show, we try to bring the humanities, so history, philosophy, creativity, to today's food dialogue. How do these approaches relate to home gardening? Well, history. Well, humans have been gardening to survive, growing food forever and in all cultures and across the world. So history we have. Uh, philosophy for all gardeners is to help others in the world, whether it's giving back to others with flowers, giving back to the land with compost so that we continue to produce for us. And then also we want homes for others. So we want to have the bird house, the bird feeders, the water source, um, have homes for others. It's not just for us. So, and creativity. Wow. We have no end of that. <laughs> Every garden. <laughs> is uh, different. We all paint different pictures in our heads of what our gardens are going to look like. And that's why garden tours are so popular. Uh, we can have 10 gardens on one tour and none are alike. So I think we've got that that covered. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say so. Fascinating, just fascinating, you know, uh, and you can see why there's so many members of the Ontario Horticultural Association and so many followers and just such a long history, the 1700s, late 1700s, you said is when um, some of the associations or societies had started and you can see why there's just something to love about every little detail of it. This show's called Food for the Future, Catherine, and how does home growing help us find the way forward together? Well, we've seen the prices of food skyrocket. That's a big thing. We know food security and safety is a growing concern and a challenge. So cutting the food budget by producing healthy food is the way of keeping our families safe and help keep our sanity by being out in the garden so our physical health is better, as well as a family, good family activity, so bonus Get those future gardeners out in the garden and learning where food comes from and how bugs are to be welcomed and not stomped on. Many societies have youth groups and are seeing many more high schools offering horticulture as courses now, so start them young. Wonderful. Well, lots to look forward to, not just this season, but across our planning and dreaming for uh, better food security and better connection to nature and all the things that not just planning for a new season, but home growing has uh, to offer. Thank you very much. Catherine, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? 
Um, well, it would be to join your local Hort Society. We're regular folks from your own areas willing to share and check out Garden Ontario. Again, one word, both on the website, so gardenontario.org or on Facebook. And we'll soon be on Instagram as well. Uh, my main goal is to keep on gardening in any form, whatever it looks like to you. So start young and keep going until you're only a memory, uh, a memory your children, your grandchildren will remember. Grandma or grandpa in the garden. I find it heartwarming. We all remember it. There's always a story, a memory of being in the garden with mom or grandparents. My kids all remember going out and picking the raspberries for grandma. It's part of the fabric of families and home. You're right. You're absolutely right. And uh, what a lot of, uh, you know, concepts of a way of life in our dialogue today about dreaming and about keep going till you're a memory. So we're talking about legacy and what we're offering about our family's not favorite food or from the garden or so oh, just yeah, our family recipe. Uh, yes. You know, grandma made this when the season was right. <laughs> you know, yeah. you made the spaghetti sauce, you made the soups, you made whatever. And it, it's it's part of us, right? So yeah, you're right. And that intergenerational connection, you know, not just to nature, which is important, but also that connection to who came before us, uh, not only in our family, but on the land. Thank you very much for our inspiring conversation today, Catherine. I'm so happy to know that the Ontario Horticultural Association is hard at work to help families see themselves not just as consumers, but as contributors and creators in growing and in food and uh, to build a flourishing food system together. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Catherine McGill from the Ontario Horticultural Association about successful home growing and planning for a new season. Each week, we leave with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, what could you grow at home next season? Something to do, visit GardenOntario.org for home gardening inspiration, resources, and much more. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll be speaking with Martin Strathoff, Executive Director at Ontario Farmland Trust, about helping farmers share their stories. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.